Hello. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm Pastor Scott, and it is my privilege to uh, lead us into exploring God's Word together, the Bible. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along in it, uh, you can turn to Genesis, first book of the Bible. We'll be in chapters 13 and 14. A really prominent theme in Genesis and really throughout the rest of Scripture is the theme of blessing. God, God's blessing of His creation. And uh, as I said last time, God's blessing, I think, is, I'm going to assume, something you're interested in since you're here uh, and you're not doing something else. You're actually coming and, and interested in what God has to say and what you would like God to do in your life. And uh, blessing sounds good. Here's a question for you. What does it look like to be a person whose life is blessed by God? What does that look like? If you wanted to know if God is blessing you, God is blessing your life, what are the things you should look for? What would you consider to be evidence that God is blessing you? Here's why I'm asking. Last time in Genesis, we saw God initiate a plan to bring blessing to the whole world. He chose a man named Abram, and he gave Abram a promise. And this promise is huge. In fact, it is so big, it, it goes through all the rest of the Bible and, and ultimately finds fulfillment in the coming of Christ, the coming of Jesus. Because God promised to, to bless Abram, to give him descendants, to bless his descendants, and ultimately through them to bless all the peoples of the earth. And that promise finds its fulfillment in Christ so that when you and I, when you and I put our trust in Jesus, when we respond to his gracious invitation to come and experience life and blessing from God, when we put our trust in Christ, you and I begin to experience the blessing that God promised way back in Genesis. So Abram is a guy who is definitely blessed by God. I mean, it's just, it's emphasized over and over. We're going to see that again this morning. But here's the thing. When I look at his life, I see some things that I would not expect in the life of somebody blessed by God. Now, I see some amazing things. I see some incredibly positive things. <laughs> but then I also see things that don't seem quite so positive. And they don't really fit my expectations of what it means to be somebody blessed by God. And you know what that means? That means my expectations are faulty. They're messed up. And I suspect that's probably true of many of us. And, and this is important to deal with because if you have faulty expectations, really in any part of life, 
I mean, you, you name it. If you have faulty expectations about something, it's going to be a problem. If you have faulty expectations about what it means to be blessed by God, that's going to be a big problem. Why? Well, because if you're expecting God to do things that God has not promised to do, if you think God's blessing includes things that he has not said it includes, then when God doesn't do those things that you were expecting him to do, you're probably going to be disappointed, discouraged, frustrated, maybe even angry and bitter. That's a problem. See, when you expect God to do things he doesn't do, it leads to disappointment, frustration, whatever. And, and, and what's more, you, you're probably going to fail to appreciate the good things that God does do. The blessings, the, the things that are part of his blessing. Let me just give you a, a kind of a silly for instance. But let's say we've got a, a teenager whose 18th birthday is coming up. Big milestone birthday. And for some reason, this guy has come to believe that his parents are going to give him a brand new car for his birthday. Now, they didn't say they were going to do that. They didn't promise that. They haven't even hinted that. But for some reason, he's got it in his head. All right, on my 18th birthday, my folks are giving me a brand new car. Well, then his birthday rolls around. And his parents actually do some really cool stuff. They take him out to his favorite restaurant. Let him order whatever he wants. He just has this phenomenal meal. It's great. Uh, his mom bakes him his favorite cake, her birthday cake. That's really good. And, and dad takes him out to a, a movie that he's really wanted to see. It's just come out. And, you know, it's a guy movie, so mom doesn't go. But they go. They have a great time. And then, to cap it all, they give him a brand new latest model iPhone. But it's not a new car. How does he feel? Kind of disappointed. Kind of maybe a little frustrated. And he, he, he's just, he's, he's, he's not, he's not feeling the happiness that he could have felt. Why? Well, because he he was expecting something he had no business expecting. Nobody promised him a new car. He didn't deserve it. Well, of course, if it's a gift, it, we don't deserve it anyway. That's the definition of a gift, right? You didn't earn it. You just got it. Somebody gave it to you. And so he, he had no business expecting this. He didn't get it. He's all disappointed. And at the same time, he doesn't appreciate the good gifts he did get. He doesn't really appreciate the dinner because he's kind of thinking, when do I get the car? When do I get the car? And he doesn't appreciate the movie and the cake, and the iPhone. Yeah, well, that's nice, but where's the car? See, that's what happens when we expect things that we have no business expecting. We tend to get a bad attitude about what we don't get, and we fail to appreciate what we do get. Now, that's, that's a problem in our expectations for one another, but it's especially bad if we have that expectation with God. Uh, and that's exactly what can happen to us if we, if we misunderstand God's promise to bless. Now, has God promised to bless those who put their faith in Jesus Christ? 
Absolutely. But we've got to know what that means, what that looks like and what it doesn't look like. And that's what today's passage will help us with. It's going to help correct some of the false expectations we can have about what it means to be blessed by God. Abram's life really is a case study in, in blessing and what it, what it means to be blessed by God, what that means, what it doesn't mean. And so in these situations that we're going to read about, we're going to look at three different situations, and we're going to focus on something that might sound kind of weird, kind of negative, but I think it'll be good for us. We're going to focus on what God doesn't promise to do when he blesses you. What God doesn't promise to do when he blesses you. Because it's important that we not have false expectations of what God's blessing looks like, what it means. We don't want to uh, have that problem because we've assumed things about God's blessing that we shouldn't. All right, so let's start. We'll look at the first situation. This is in chapter 13, beginning at verse 5. There's what God's Word says. And Lot, now that's Abram's nephew, Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. That's Perizzites, not parasites. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land uh, of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Okay, what God does not promise to do when he blesses you. First, he does not promise to make your life convenient. He does not promise to make your life convenient. He does not promise to make your life problem-free. Now, I struggle with this because for some reason, probably has a lot to do with the way I was raised in a very affluent, comfortable culture with very doting parents. Yeah, I was spoiled. Okay, well, we'll just say it. But um, for some reason, I developed this expectation that when it comes to what's normal in life, okay, normal life, I expect normal life to be convenient and smooth. And when it's not, I have this tendency then to find myself wondering why God isn't blessing me very much. So deep down inside, there lurks, there lurks this notion that if I really trust God, and if I really do as best I can what He wants me to do, I seek to be obedient, and if He is blessing my life, then I won't have any problems. 
<laughs> yeah, everybody should be laughing right now. You should laugh at me because that's crazy. And what's, what's really nuts about it is I know better. I counsel people about stuff like this. This is nuts. I know the Bible does not teach that, that if you really trust God and you seek to be obedient and he's blessing your life, that somehow your life's going to be problem-free. I know better. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. I can't think of a single example in Scripture of a person who was blessed by God who didn't also have problems, sometimes very big problems. Well, you see it here. What do you see? You see conflict. Conflict between Abram and Lot. How many of you, your first thought of, I'm blessed by God, so therefore I'm going to have conflict? How many think conflict's a big blessing? Okay, I'm glad you're not raising your hand because nobody really likes conflict except a few people. And if you're one of those who likes conflict, you're frankly a pain in the neck. <laughs> and you should repent. Most of us hate it. Conflict does not feel like a blessing. It doesn't. But did you notice what caused this conflict between Abram and Lot? This is family. It's because their flocks and their herds and all their possessions were getting so large. Why was that happening? Because God was blessing them. Look at that. Not only does God's blessing not prevent problems, sometimes God's blessing causes problems. You see that? So lots of animals, lots of herdsmen, lots of families, tents everywhere, not enough space because the Canaanites are still living in the land. Put it all together, God's blessing was causing conflict. How inconvenient. And the same thing happens with us and, and many of the blessings God gives us. Okay, I'm just going to list a few. If you're married, God intends for marriage to bless you. Marriage is meant to be a blessing. Proverbs 18.22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Marriage is a wonderful thing when it's lived out God's way. But it's not always easy. That wonderful person that you promised to love, honor, and cherish, newsflash, is not you. <laughs> and is different from you, thinks differently, acts differently, will act in ways at times that will bewilder you. You are going to have conflict in your marriage no matter how much you love one another get that in your head if you think otherwise if you think well we love each other a lot so we're not going to have conflict <laughs> that's just stupid <laughs> no you laugh but stupid expectations are one of the biggest reasons marriages fail so don't let that happen to your marriage if you're married. Be careful of faulty expectations. You're going to have conflict, okay? Marriage is a great blessing, but it's not always convenient. Children. Children are a blessing. Psalm 127, verse 3. You shouldn't be laughing yet. 
children are a blessing. (laughs) Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, but they're not convenient. They're not convenient. Now, if you ask parents, if you go up to parents and say, hey, is having children worth it? If you don't have any, you know, and you're dreaming of the future or whatever, is having kids worth it? Almost every parent's going to say, yes, totally worth it. It's wonderful. Then ask them if it's easy. And they will laugh at you. (laughs) Because it's not. It's not easy. It's not problem-free. Kids will drive you crazy at times. And at times they will break your heart. And other times they will bless you beyond your wildest dreams. It all goes together. Okay? How about a healthy, growing church? That is a blessing. As a blessing from the Lord. Acts 2.47, talking about the early, the first church in Jerusalem. It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That is a huge blessing when God enables a church to fulfill its purpose and to be about making disciples, winning more and more people to Christ and helping them grow. That is a huge blessing when a church grows, but it's not convenient. More people means more traffic in the parking lot. It means people sitting where you used to sit. It means... More babies in the nursery. It means more dirt on the floors. A greater need for teachers and greeters and small group leaders and other resources to help people in need and to help them follow Jesus. And more people means more conflicts. Which is why, by the way, the Bible makes a really big deal out of how to handle conflict properly. Okay? It doesn't tell us how to avoid conflict. It tells us how to handle it. Right, that's, that's, that's another message. If you want a convenient church, you don't want a church that grows. You don't want a church that's blessed by God. So if you want a convenient church, you know, I, I really, frankly, as much as I like convenience, I don't want a convenient church because I want a church that God's blessing and growing. And I know that's what our elders want, and I assume that's what most of you want. So if you want a convenient church, if you want a convenient life, you really should probably not pray and ask God to bless you because it doesn't go together. And if your life right now is inconvenient, if there are problems in your life, that does not mean God isn't blessing you. Okay? Get it? There is absolutely no correlation, no correlation between how convenient your life is and how blessed you are by God. In fact, blessing and problems usually go together. And frankly, I I think you ought to expect problems, you ought to expect conflicts, you ought to expect hard times, because... What's God after anyway? You know, what's his priority for your life? What's his goal? What's his objective? It's not your convenience. It's not my convenience. His goal is to make us like Jesus, to change us. And that usually doesn't happen through convenience. It happens through conflicts and problems where we are completely dependent on the Lord and he's using these things to to challenge us and to show us where we need to change and grow. 
So when God blesses you, he does not promise to make your life convenient. Second, let's look on Genesis 13, uh, pick up at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. (laughs) Okay, here's another thing God has not promised to do when he blesses you. He has not promised to keep you from waiting. God's blessing does not mean you don't have to wait. Actually, the reverse is true. The Bible tells us repeatedly to be patient and to wait, to wait on the Lord to fulfill his promises. James 5, 7, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See, now there's the ultimate fulfillment of all God's promises, the coming of the Lord. We're not there yet, so be patient. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Farming is a great example of waiting, gardening. Any, anybody like gardening here? You guys into gardening? Okay, well, both of you guys. Um, <laughs> you probably, because it's spring, just recently put some stuff in the ground, some seeds or seedlings. Did anybody do that? Okay, if you did that yesterday, did you go out this morning looking for harvest? Oh, Pastor Scott, that's stupid. Yeah, it is. Because that's not how it works. Okay, the things have to grow. Growth takes time. We all get that, right? Well, what's that an example of? That's an example of waiting. A great crop is a wonderful blessing from God, but it's slow. It's slow. Unfortunately, we've gotten used to fast because we have microwaves and we have high-speed internet and we have freeways. And uh, so we, we like things to be quick. You know? Have you ever felt yourself being impatient with a microwave oven? <laughs> going to pop up, going to pop some microwave popcorn. You look at it. Three minutes? Who's got that kind of time? (laughs) See, that's how we are. God's blessing almost always involves waiting. 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 Say, where do you see that? Okay, well, here in chapter 3, or 13... God is giving Abram more details about his promise that he he gave back in chapter 12. And, uh, you know, he tells him about all these offspring. He's going to have so many many descendants, they're going to be greater, more of them than the dust of the earth. That's a lot of offspring. That's what God is promising. What does he say about when? Nothing. I'm pretty sure Abram would have liked to have known. Because God's promising more offspring than the dust of the earth. You know how many offspring he's got? Zero, none. He and his wife Sarai have nothing. You know how old he is? He's 75. 
I'm pretty sure he's thinking, okay, I'd like to see something happen here. You know how long it is from the time God made his promise to the time that Isaac is born? You know how many years? 25. 25. You've been waiting for 25 years for God to do something? And then... In chapter 15, we're going to find out how long it's going to be from the time of the promise to when his descendants actually take possession of the land. You know how long? Over 400 years. Then from the time of Abram to the coming of Messiah, the one who will ultimately fulfill all these promises, how long? 2,000 years. And here we are, 2,000 years later, waiting for the coming of the Lord. God's promises are sure, but they're not quick. Look at 2 Peter 3.9, talking about Jesus' promise to return. says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And there's the thing. When God makes us wait, He has good reasons for it. Now, we don't often see what the reason is, and we might not think that's a good reason, but God is God and we're not. He's got good reasons for making us wait. Do you ever find yourself waiting? Waiting for something you think God should do? And you just have to keep waiting, and, and so the waiting makes you wonder, does God even really love me? Does God even want to bless me? Does it make you wonder that? See, it shouldn't. Because God never promised to keep you from waiting. Instant gratification may be very American, but it's not God's way. God's not into instant gratification. God doesn't use microwaves. He uses crockpots. <laughs> and that's where we are. His crockpot of reaching the, the nations with the gospel, winning people to Christ, not desiring any that should perish, but we wait. We wait for God to fulfill His work. We wait. One more situation, Genesis 14. Now let me summarize the first part of chapter 14. So Lot is Abram's nephew, and as we saw, they separated, and he goes and he lives in Sodom. And what happens is, uh, these different cities all have their own kings. So... A bunch of these kings get in this big battle, and so this, this big war breaks out, and Lot and his family and a bunch of other people get taken captive, and now they're prisoners of war, and they're taken up north. So let's pick it up, verse 14. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan, that's way up in the north. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them back to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions. He also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of Kedor Laomer, the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet Abram in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram and said, Blessed 
be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. So third thing God has not promised to do when he blesses you, he has not promised to force everyone else around you to make good decisions. Have you ever gotten sucked into some drama? And it wasn't because you made a bad decision, but somebody else did. Has that ever happened? Did you find yourself feeling sorry for yourself and wondering why God wasn't taking better care of you? I know I've done that. But God never said that he would put you or me at the center of the universe and make everybody else around us line up with our plans. He never promised that. Now here's Abram. He's getting caught up in this huge crisis that he had nothing to do with. His nephew Lot made a bad decision to go live in Sodom in spite of its terrible reputation. And then the king of Sodom and his allies pick a fight with some other kings. Lot gets caught up in the middle, gets taken off a prisoner of war, but Lot is family. So Abram's got to deal with it, even though none of it's his fault. And he's a man blessed by God. The passage goes out of its way to tell us that. Because people who trust God, People who trust God, people who obey God, people who are blessed by God are not insulated from the bad decisions other people make. I mean, we're not insulated from our own bad decisions, and we're not insulated from other people's bad decisions. And if you remember back, you probably do, many of you, you know, the whole housing bubble thing. And all the calamity that caused? Well, I've heard different explanations of why that happened, and we won't get into it. But clearly somebody or a whole lot of somebody's made a whole lot of really bad decisions, and the economic fallout was, was enormous. Lots of people out of work, lots of businesses closing, struggling, lots of families feeling the pain. And people who love Jesus were not immune from that. And we're not immune to other hardships common to this world either. Have you ever seen that sign? Sometimes you'll see it in an office or something. It's a little poster or whatever. It says, lack of planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. As if to say, look, just because you didn't do what you were supposed to do doesn't mean I have to go into, you know, emergency mode. Well, that's very clever. That's kind of funny. And it's almost, almost never true. Lack of planning on other people's part or other bad decisions on other people's part often does constitute an emergency on our part. We have, we have to deal with it. We have to deal with it. So, if we get caught up in a crisis situation that we didn't cause, does that mean God is not blessing us? Well, that's not what it meant for Abram. You know, you'll notice after he and his posse go win this battle and bring all the prisoners back safe and sound... Out comes this guy named Melchizedek, and he says, Blessed are you, Abram. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. So this guy says, Abram, you are a man blessed by God. God protected you. God was with you. God gave you the victory. How does Abram respond? With worship 
He responds with worship. Giving Melchizedek a tenth of all the spoils was an act of worship. He was worshiping God when he did that. And it's his way of saying, Melchizedek, you are absolutely right. God is blessing me. And I'm very grateful that he is. God's blessing may not keep us out of a crisis, but it will get us through it. It will get us through it. So let's just sum this up, okay? Crisis situations, lots of waiting, and all kinds of inconvenient problems. Those things are part of life, including a life blessed by God. Don't expect God to keep your life free from those things. And when you catch me expecting God to keep my life free of those things, remind me of what I just said. Graciously. You know what we need to do instead? We need to focus on what God has promised. We need to focus on how God has blessed and does bless and will bless those who trust Him in Christ. If you have said yes to Jesus Christ, if you have come to that place of saying, I need saving, I need God's blessing, I need God's presence, I need His forgiveness. If you have said yes to Christ and you've received Him in your life, then God has forgiven you of every sin. Every sin. And He is now with you. His Holy Spirit actually indwells you and He will never leave you or forsake you. He's given you unlimited access to Himself in prayer. Absolutely unlimited. You can go to God anytime you want in Christ, no matter how much you've blown it. He's given you His promises, a whole book full of His promises that He will fulfill. He's given you gifts and abilities and opportunities to make a difference in this world for His name, for His glory, by you doing His will, by you sharing His love and His truth, by you doing justice and mercy in this world of need. He's given you a purpose that no one can take from you, a significance that's greater than anything else. He has promised to work Look at this. All things, all those crises, all those inconveniences, all those delays, he's promised to work out every single one of those for your ultimate good if you love him and are called according to his purpose. You've trusted him. And one day, one day, he is going to come and he's going to right every wrong. He's going to fix every problem. He's going to end every delay. And he is going to make you unimaginably happy in His presence forever. That's what His blessing looks like. And there's more. But that's what we should focus on. That's what God promises. That's what God will do. That's the way He will bless every single person who comes to Him in Christ and receives His blessing.
Let's don't miss that by expecting something else. Let's bow together and pray. Now, if you're here today and you have not yet come to that place of receiving His blessing, of trusting in Him, I just want to invite you. It's there for the asking, but you have to humble yourself. You have to admit that you can't do it and that you don't deserve God's blessing. We actually deserve the opposite. But in Christ, because He went to the cross, because He paid the price, we can have it as a gift. Being right with God is a gift. You can't achieve it. You can only receive it. And you can do that today. Just ask Him. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your blessing. I need your direction. I need you in my life. And if you, like me, have just this faulty expectation of what God's blessing looks like, I just want to encourage you to pray along with me that God will help us think rightly about his blessing, appreciate all that it is, and not expect what it isn't. So I'm going to give you a moment to pray silently yourself, and then I'll close here in just a minute. Father, thank you for your promises and thank you that you will fulfill them and are fulfilling them in Christ. And uh, Lord, your promises are so great. Help us focus on them. Lord, we we live in a world that's very broken, very foolish, and we get caught up in the foolishness. We, We have our own foolishness. Lord, help us think clearly about you and about what you've called us to do and to be in this world. May we shine as light because we know what your blessing is and we want to share it and uh, keep us from those times of discouragement, of failing to appreciate all you've given us because we're really expecting something else. We pray you'd do this for us in Jesus' name. Amen.